We serve a great God, and it's great to sing his praise and remember how great he is. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Good morning. If you would, would you turn with me to the book of Zechariah? Uh, it's in your pew Bible if you need that on page 796, a large prince, page 946. And let's give attention to God's word. Uh, Jesus wants to speak to us today. Let's give him our attention. And since we didn't stand to sing, let's stand to hear God's word together, if you're able to do that. Maybe it'll help you pay attention. Let's stand together, as, and please follow along as I read from Zechariah 8, verses 1 through 9. And the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath. Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, if it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts? Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. Thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong. You who in these days have been hearing these words from the mouth of the prophets, who were present on that day when the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid, that the temple might be built. May God add his blessing to his word, and you may be seated. Before we go on, let's just take a minute to pray together. Would you pray with me? Lord God, Father in heaven, maker of everything, our Savior and coming King. Help us to believe what you say about Jerusalem today, about its future. Lord, help us to believe today that you are making your people, your church, into a beautiful bride, holy and pure, ready to meet you. Lord, use your word today in my life, in our life together, in our hearts individually. Meet our needs here let us hear what you have to say. May we leave here rejoicing, knowing that the future is secure in your hands. And Lord God, I ask this in the name of Christ, the one who came to save us, to redeem us, the risen Lord who is coming again. It'll be so. Help us to believe it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Have you noticed how hopeful God's word is? I mean, everywhere you turn, even when God pronounces judgment and coming wrath, in the midst of those kind of messages, God is still speaking words of a great future for his people. He doesn't hide it from us. He wants us to know about him. He wants us to know what he's got planned for his people, for those who trust in him. He wants us to understand what his will is. He wants people to know him, to know his will, so that they can live with him forever and enjoy him. Do you believe that? I hope you do. 
God wants people everywhere, all over the world, people we maybe don't like as well as others. He wants them to know that they can have a relationship with God and live in his presence forever. Maybe you're just investigating Christianity. Maybe you're not a believer, but you're investigating that. God wants you to hear what he has to say today from his word about the future. Maybe you're doubting that this word that we call the Bible, that God's word is even true. Maybe you haven't given it much thought lately. Maybe you're here because you need to keep peace in your family, you know, just to get along and, and, and survive until you get out or get on your own. I don't know what your case is, but today when in the, my scripture reading, I, I read verse 9, even though it starts a new paragraph, for a reason. Let your hands be strong. Because God has given us this word to make our hands strong so that we do his work and his will and live for him. G. Campbell Morgan, I used the quote last week, I repeat it again today. You will only be strong as you see the things that are not seen, heavenly visions, and hear the things that are never heard, the heavenly voices. Zechariah's message was given to give hope to these people. God was describing this amazing future for Jerusalem. And you've got to understand how hard it would have been to believe that was true. Because those people were sitting in a city or living around a city that was just all rubble. It was rubble everywhere. God, you're going to do that? I can't believe it. They had come from Babylon, these, this, these exiles who would return to land, I'm sure they were all excited to do God's work and they laid the foundation of the temple but had been sitting there just the foundation for 16, 17, 18 years and they were probably beginning to wonder, God, are you really going to give, do you really have the willpower, God? Do you really have the strength to make this happen? Because it doesn't look like it's going to happen in my lifetime, and I wanted it to happen in my lifetime. I would have been one of those people saying, God, I believe, but <laughs> help my unbelief. What does the future, that good future that God's promising us, what good does it do me now? I'm not feeling it in the midst of my health crisis, or my relationship crisis, or my joblessness, or, or whatever's going on that's negative in the world and in your life, sometimes it's hard to see how the future can have impact on how I'm feeling today. But it, but it can, because of Jesus Christ, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, paid for our sins so that we could have life everlasting. So he knew that his work, that his life now, and what he was doing, his father's will, would have great impact on our future. Well, I'm not Jesus Christ, and neither are you, and my life might not have the same mighty impact as God the eternal son can have, but yet when his life is in us, our lives matter, no matter how small or whatever we don't see or understand. Under know this that what we do now for God will have eternal consequences. Believe that so that you work and hold on for the future because it's going to happen.
So let's take a look at these chapters. And I read from chapter 8, but we need to flip back to chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles open, turn back a page or two. And let's look at verse 9 of chapter 6. Because God wanted the, these exiles, and he wants us to know these words, to hear these words, to understand them, to give us hope, to strengthen our hands. And the word of the Lord came to me, verse 9 of chapter 6, And the word of the Lord came to me, Take from the exiles Heldai and Tobijah and Jedidiah, and who have arrived from Babylon, and go the same day to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah, and take from them silver and gold, and make a crown, and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and say to him, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold the man whose name is a, who is the branch, for he shall branch out from his, this place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord, and it shall bear royal honor, and shall sit and rule on this throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between the both, them both. And the crown shall be in the temple of the Lord as a reminder. I'm not going to read those names because I butcher them. <laughs> so here's this great vision, this great purpose that God has happening right there, that there's going to be the high priest is given a crown. This is a strange event. Joshua, the high priest, in chapter 3 we were introduced to him, was wearing dirty clothes in a vision, and God changed those clothes into clean clothes and gave him a, a clean turban. And he was representing the people of Israel to say God was going to make them clean, make them righteous, make them pure. And now he's called the branch. I thought the branch was a future person. I thought it was Messiah. And now the priest is getting a crown. I thought Zerubbabel was a governor. Isn't he the ruler? Shouldn't he be wearing the crown? What's going on here? Well, there's two offices, priest and king, and God always kept them separate. Priests weren't supposed to do what kings do, and kings weren't supposed to do or be priests or wear priest clothes or, or any of those things. Priests didn't wear crowns. And kings didn't wear priestly clothes or go in and do the sacrifices and go into the Holy of Holies and, and all those kind of things. They were kept separate. But here God is melding them together into one person. It's a prophecy. Just to encourage the people to know that the branch to come, that is Jesus Christ the Savior, was pointing to him. He would be both priest and king. Joshua's pictures the coming branch. In the notes, we mentioned Melchizedek. Some weird guy we meet in Genesis. Weird guy meaning we don't know where he came from and we don't know where he went. He just appears in the scene and he disappears. But it's all for a sign. Take a minute and take a look if you want to. In, in Genesis chapter uh, 14, we read about him. Abraham. God's chosen servant, the first Hebrew, the father of the Jewish nation, rescued Lot. And after his great victory, defeating the kings of so uh, that had attacked Sodom and Gomorrah, after rescuing them, Abraham came back 
And we read this in verse 17. And after his return from the defeat of the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shavah, that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, the king of Salem, which happened to be the, the king of Jerusalem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed him. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High who has delivered your enemies into your hand, and Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So here's this fellow, Melchizedek, that we meet. We don't know where he came from. We don't know. He disappears off the scene. No beginning, no end, just a, a, just a little picture of God, of Jesus Christ, who's both a king and a priest. And Abraham gives him a tithe. Abraham is blessed by him, and the greater always blesses the lesser. So Melchizedek is a picture of a king and a priest who's greater than Abraham. We know that's a picture of Christ. In Psalm 110, we read again how these two come together. The Lord says to my Lord, speaking of Christ, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And then in verse 4, talking about a king reigning next to God, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, this priest and king pictured in Christ. And then in Hebrews chapters 5 and chapters 10, again, this is quoted there where it's a picture of Christ who is both king, promised savior, and priest, the one who would enter the holy of holies and shed his blood and make a way for us to live forever. This crown that they made out of gold and silver, was never worn. It was just hung up in the temple, tradition has it, waiting to be put on the Messiah. I don't think Jesus ever wore that crown. The only crown he wore was the one of thorns. Isn't that interesting? But when he returns, I think there is going to be some kind of glorious crown and evidence that he is Lord of Lords, and ruler of all. So what's God wanting his people to see in this picture of Joshua, the high priest, getting a crown, but not being able to wear the crown, but having the crown kind of like memorialized in the temple as a picture of the hope that was to come? They couldn't see it. It was hard to believe that this was going to happen the way Jerusalem looked now, but God wanted them to know that it was going to happen because God's promises are always yes. And let that strengthen your mind. What's going on in your life that you don't like right now? Let the truth that Christ is going to fix unjust situations or your or your life situations, relationships, your joblessness, or things that aren't going well in your life, just let them know that God is going, let, be reminded, excuse me, 
be reminded that God has seized this and has it under control. Let it strengthen your mind and your heart so that you will obey. That's what, what the point is. Know these things so that your hands will be strong and do what I've commanded you because God will never abandon his people who trust in him. So God tells in uh, Zechariah, through Zechariah in chapter 6, he wants to remind the people of the great things that are coming in the future. They couldn't see it, but it was as good as done. The next thing we see is in chapter 7 in Zechariah is that these people who had this great future, God wants them to look back and to correct some errors. So I just want to read a few verses from chapter 7. In, in chapter 7, verse 1, in the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is Cheslev. Now the people of Bethel had sent Shazar and Regum Mechelah and their men to entreat the favor of the Lord, saying to the priests of the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, say to all the people of the land and the priest, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Were not these the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous with her cities around her and the south and the lowlands were inhabited? And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another, do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of, your, not, let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped up their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts spoke by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came upon the Lord from the Lord of hosts. As I called and they would not hear, so they called and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Look back and make some corrections. For all you literary people out here, this is a chiasm, chapter 7 and 8. And I have it up on the board just to make it clear. It's really kind of a cool liter literary structure, and it helps us understand what God was trying to do. You see, there's a lot of parallelism there. There's a question. God gives a sermon on hypocrisy. I just read those verses. Then there's a promise to transform Jerusalem. We read that in our scripture reading. Then there's a sermon about sincere obedience, and then he finally gets to the answer. Your fasting is going to be turned into feasting. So, yeah, quit fasting. Start obeying and turn, life is going to turn into feasting down the road. So this delegation comes and they ask, should we continue to fast and remember how the temple was torn down and all the destruction? We used to fast when we were in captivity and they fasted on the fourth month. That's around July. They were uh, remembering the breaching of Jerusalem's walls by the Babylonians. In the fifth month in August, 
They fasted again because of the, remembering the burning of the walls. In the seventh month, that's October, that's when they rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar's uh, appointed uh, ruler, and they murdered him and rebelled. And then the tenth month, they fasted again in January because that's when Nebuchadnezzar began a great siege around Jerusalem. So for 70-plus years, the Jews had been fasting several times throughout the year, remembering commemorating Israel's disobedience. <laughs> Wrong way to celebrate. Wrong way. Why were they fasting? Were they sad about the temple being destroyed or were they upset about the sin that caused their situation? It's like God saying, people, wake up. You wouldn't be here talking or asking this question right now if your fathers had obeyed. So don't be like your fathers. Quit fasting. Start obeying my word. Hear me. I'm glad you asked. Let's talk about your fasting. Why are you fasting? To remember your disobedience? Or are you heartbroken over your sin? Your fasting's commemorating, remembering disobedience. Stop. I found this to be true in my life. I don't know about you, but I rarely have an issue knowing what God wants me to do. He's pretty clear on what I need to do to obey. My problem is my heart and my will don't want to obey. It's not that I don't know what to do. It's just that I don't want to do it. You see, it's, it's my money. It's my sexuality. It's my comfort. It's mine, it's mine, it's ours. And Jesus is confronting his people here and saying, is it your way or my way? Which way leads to abundant life? Which way leads to death? You know, we have a great time. We can turn any good day that we remember into a party for the wrong reasons. I mean, what's Memorial Day to you? What are we remembering? Well, for me, it's a day off. It's a picnic. It's family time. And what about Christmas and Easter? Those are really good days. But don't you hate it when Christmas lands on Sunday? I mean, come on. We have to go to church? <laughs> Isn't it amazing how we can take something that starts out good to worship, to remember God, to, to remember good things and turn it into our day for us instead of for the Lord. We're really good at that. Are we heartbroken over empty churches because we just wish there were lots of people here so that we would feel good about ourselves, so that our budget would be met, so that it looks like we're doing great things for God? Or are we concerned about empty churches because of the lost people that aren't here. And what caused us not to pursue people with the gospel and acts of mercy? Why are we so lazy? How did we get here? What's the core issue that, or core issues that need to be corrected? God's asking us, are your fasts and your feasts just to make you feel spiritual? Or are you doing them because you want to be transformed in your walk to know me, to walk with me, 
God describes what true religion looks like in verses 8 through 10. Render true judgment. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Grace. Show grace to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless. Remember why you're in this mess. And remember where it took you. I find verses 11 and 12 amazing because they're very convicting. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears. Yeah, it was one of these. Na 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 na. I'm not going to listen to you, God. That's basically what they were doing. We know what your prophets are saying, but we refuse to pay attention. We refuse to pay attention. Get off your phone. Hear God's word. Hear what he's saying. Turn off the TV. I'm preaching to myself. Hear what I'm saying. They stopped up their ears. They made their hearts diamond hard. They made, God didn't make their hearts diamond hard. They turned away and God let them go where they wanted to go. Wow. And what happened? He scattered them around the world. Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. I called out to you, but you didn't listen. So when you called out to me, I didn't listen. Return to me, and I will return to you. The dangers of not returning are really scary. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus put it like this. No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar, puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Listen to this. Hear what Jesus says. Take care then how you hear. Seven times to the churches, Jesus said, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Seven times. He or she who has an ear. So what's the challenge for us? For me, it's, are you really praying so that you can hear God? Or are you just praying, asking God to simply put a stamp of approval on your your ideas? And if God's tugging at your mind and souls about your listening quotient this morning, that's good. (laughs) Because I think he wants us to think about that. Am I really hearing? He's doing it because he's calling you back into relationship with himself. He wants you to hear. Young and old. And everyone in between, I'm in between, by the way. God is pleading with us to trust him. To lean on him, to depend on him, to dare to follow his commands fearlessly, to have strong hands and to be bold for Christ because he is the king. 
I call her a friend of mine because I know Deborah Hinkle. She said this in an article about listening to God. Does my schedule, does my time, does my life look like I'm a person who wants to hear God's voice? I'll let you figure that one out. Practice silence. Be still and know that he's God. Practice silence. Listen with expectation. (laughs) Read scripture for relationship. Preachers have that problem. We're always reading for a message to give to you. (laughs) But I need to read the word so that I can hear God speak to me, to call me into relationship with him. Look ahead and align with God's plans. We jump to chapter 8 in Zechariah. And we already read verses uh, 1 through 9. News to inspire hope and obedient living. Let's talk about what true worship looks like. Look at verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Here's the vision he's casting to these people. This is going to happen. Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with a staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city will be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. It's like Mayberry RFD. Andy Griffith show. Some of us remember that. It's like white picket fences and everyone's happy. It's it's what we want Havertown to be or whatever little town you live in around here. It's what we try to recreate in the world and it isn't happening. And God says, I'm going to make it happen. You people, you remnant in Jerusalem, you can't see it right now. There's no gates. There's no walls. There's no one hardly even living in the city. Everyone was living outside the city. It was empty, basically. The temple was two years being built now. So at least there was something happening in Jerusalem. But he was casting this great vision. Begin to to practice what you believe the Lord wants you to do. Believe in the Lord and what he says he's going to do. Nothing's too hard for me, God says. You may not believe it, but I got this. I'm not going to be surprised when it happens because my yes is yes. My word is going to come true. How are we to respond to these truths? That all the nations in the world are going to be around God's throne, praising and worshiping him and adoring him, and there's going to be a beautiful city, and we're going to be living together in the world and the earth, whatever heaven is in the future. And I believe in a literal millennial kingdom on earth before Jesus comes back and all that kind of stuff. What's what's it going to be like? Do we really believe it's true? And we can begin to bring a taste of that to people now. So they say, I want to be in all in for all eternity with this stuff. Do you believe it's so? What should we do in light of that truth? Let your hands be strong. Be strong because you know that your work is not in vain now. That what seems Like it's doing nowhere? Like we're not doing a whole lot in our world? God is going to take it and use it for great things. Look at verses 13 and 14. As I called and they would not hear, so they called and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. Excuse me, I'm in the wrong chapter. I'm in chapter 7. Chapter 8, verses 13 and 14. 
Let me just make sure I'm in the right place. Excuse me. Let your hands be strong. Work on the temple. In verse 13, it says that the Jewish people, you have been a byword of cursing among the nations. O house of Judah, O house of Israel, so I will save you and you will be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. Think about that. The name Jew was a put down. The world was mocking them when they walked by their city. Oh, the great city of Jerusalem. We've heard about you and your God. We remember this glitter of this great kingdom when David and Solomon were kings. But you guys are nothing now. And they were a curse. If you wanted to insult somebody, you said, oh, you're a Jew. You're like the Jews. God says, believe, I'm going to turn it, your name into a blessing. And the rest of the chapter reads, For thus says the Lord of hosts, as I purposed to bring disaster to you when your fathers provoked it to wrath, and I did not relent. So again, I have purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear not. Future feasting is going to happen. God's going to make it happen. He has plans for the nation. They're going to grab onto the robe of Jews and say, I want to follow you and go to Jerusalem. I want to be where you are because I see that God is with you. Now, this began to happen in Acts chapter 2. The nations came to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. And there were a lot of Jewish people from all over the world, and there were a lot of Gentiles, proselytes, who had been converted to, Jerusalem, uh, to Judaism, and they came to Jerusalem too. And that's when the Spirit filled Peter, and he preached to them in Acts chapter 2. And how many people got saved that day? 3,000. They heard the word of Peter speaking about Christ and all the promises of what he would do, and they said, what must we do to be saved? And he said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized in his name and you'll receive the spirit of God and your sins will be taken away. They literally grabbed onto the robe of Jesus. Well, figuratively, they grabbed onto the robe of Jesus and all these blessings began to become true. Through the witness of Jewish men and women, many came to know Christ. They grabbed onto their, their robes for blessing. We need not doubt that God is going to do that. Are you a follower of Christ? Are you a Christian living in hopeful anticipation of what God is planning to do with the world? How he's going to transform it into a beautiful place to be where there's no injustice, no prejudice, no slavery, no adultery, no lying, no cheating, no hatred. 
hard to imagine, isn't it? Never experienced it. It's just a little taste of it. Hopefully among the body of Christ, God's people. But understand that these things are going to happen and be strong because you can see these heavenly visions. You've heard the truth of heaven and you believe it and you've received it now. Begin to live it courageously and boldly. Let other people see the glories of what God's going to do. Give them a little taste of it now. Have you grabbed onto Jesus's cloak? So you can enter his glories. He will answer yes to anyone who asks, anyone who comes, anyone who seeks him. Let's pray. Father and God, we ask today that you will help us again to believe what's true, what's coming, what you're going to do, how you transform people, making sinners into saints, how you can change a city into a beautiful city that's unholy. Lord, do your great work in us, we pray, for your honor and glory. Help us to believe. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.